0: For more than conquerors we are. And turn your eyes. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take that out right now. We're gonna be in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19. And this of course is Palm Sunday, and we're gonna look at a, a very familiar passage known as the Triumphal Entry. And uh, this is where Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem during the last week of his earthly life. And like I said, it's a very familiar passage. You perhaps thought this is probably what we will be looking at today, being that it is Palm Sunday. Uh, But we're going to place a special emphasis on it uh, today. And I'll share with you uh, what that is once we've read the text. So let's go ahead and uh, stand if you're able, even at home, if you would. Again, Luke chapter 19. We're going to read from verses 28 down to verse 44. The Word of God says this. And when he, that's Jesus, had had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying... And they said the lord has need of it and they brought it to jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set jesus on it and as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen of your visitation word of God you may be seated thank you so we're embarking on a new sermon series a new sermon series very short it'll be started and finished in a week's time we're calling it simply Jesus key statements from Easter It's three parts we have today is the first installment The second will be Good Friday during the evening service, this upcoming Friday, and then of course next weekend on Resurrection Sunday. And as always, I'm honored and privileged to have this opportunity. I get the bat lead off here. I'm very excited. It's always exciting when we start a new sermon series. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus, simply Jesus, but in his own words. Jesus is going to speak for himself as we look at these key statements from Easter. So what's the statement we're going to look at today? We read it. It's verse 40. I'll read it to you again. He, Jesus, answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now before we get into the text proper, uh, I want to encourage you to not make any assumptions about it. Don't do that. What I mean is that you know, come in to church maybe on, on Palm Sunday, and we have a, a tendency to think, "I've heard this sermon before." It, yeah, it's the triumphal entry. You know, it's Jesus entering into Jerusalem. It's Passover time. He sends the disciples ahead to find the colt that no man had ever sat on. They bring the colt there, throw their cloaks on the colt, they throw their cloaks on the road as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy and affirming his identity as the Messiah. And it's it's a festive event. There's a lot of loud praising going on. They're waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, save us, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know the story, right? Well, what's unique to the Lucan version that we read here is Luke shares with us that not everybody's down with this king's coronation. You got the group there that we are well familiar with. They're always buttonheads heads with Jesus. They're the Pharisees. They don't like all that's happening. They're not... Uh, uh, a fan of all this. They don't like all this hullabaloo. They're not a fan of the ballyhoo, nor do they like the hubbub or the hoopla. And yes, I got loose with a thesaurus this week. All four of those words I liked. I couldn't decide which one, so we used all four, which is interesting because they all pretty much mean the same thing. Hullabaloo, ballyhoo, hubbub, and hoopla. There must be some like root origin there with those words. I don't know. I digress. But basically, they say to him, hey, all this going on, Jesus, well, they call him teacher. At least there's some measure of, of, of respect. They say, rebuke your disciples. And then he responds, if these, the people, were silent, the very stones would cry out. And again, I think we have a tendency to think, I know what that means. I've heard that sermon before. So I I don't know that I'm going to come away with anything new. I don't know that I'm going to learn anything new today. And so let's just kind of go through the motions. And that's kind of what I thought of when I I saw my name was on the preaching schedule for Palm Sunday. I was like, God, I taught this lesson to the kids downstairs. You know, is there anything, is God going to reveal anything new to me? Is there going to be any great insight? And God did exactly that. Every time I think I got something figured out, he comes along and humbles me, and I like it, because now he's shown his word is much deeper and richer than I first thought, and so we ought not just go through the motions here today. So before we get into it, let me me share a story with you uh, about uh, our our dearly departed brother, uh, pastor, former staff member here named uh, Pastor Andrew Thomas. Uh, Pastor Andrew was uh, beloved and still is. I, I still miss him. If you've been around for a while, uh, you, even if you're new, you, know, you might have heard some stories about Pastor Andrew over the years, Well I got one for you. It's, it's a little bit obscure, so you might not have heard this one. It was one day uh, during the week, during, uh, like it was like after a staff meeting on a Tuesday or something, and he, he just kind of opened up to me a little bit. He was like, he was venting a little. He's like, you know, Mike, he goes, "Uh, sometimes I think our congregation just, they just kind of go through the motions, especially during the worship set time. He's like, they're they're just following my lead and just singing whatever pops up onto the screen and just, you know, they're just kind of going through it without really giving any real thought to the words that they're singing. And he goes, I bet I could switch up some of the words to something that is just wrong and inappropriate, and they would just follow my lead. And because I'm a troublemaker, a bit of a rabble-rouser, I said, you should do that. And I baited him. I'm like, you wouldn't do that. To which he said, oh yeah? Watch me. Well, that weekend, came to church. I believe, if memory serves, the song was, It's All About You, Jesus. I'll sing it for you. Somebody said, oh, no. That person knows me well. So let me get some water. This is going to be painful no matter what. But the song goes like this. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. Not bad, right? At least Pastor Paul doesn't have his hands cupped over his ears. Make it stop. Make it stop. But as we're singing the song, Pastor Andrew switches it up a little bit. And he sings, It's all about me. It's not about you, Jesus. And guess what Living Water Community Church did? They followed right along. Myself included. And I knew it was coming. He made his point that day. You know, the band shut, that was like the needle came off the record, the band shuts down, and he gave us an education, a little lecture that day that was rightly deserved. So we ought not come in here and just go through the motions. You know, I don't care if that's the songs we're singing, your offering, well, here's my check again this week, and you just kind of do it. This, This is all of worship, all of it, including the Word of God. You know, come and say, God, show me something new. Give me a, not, not that there's new interpretations or things like that, new revelation. Just open up my mind to some insight that I had not seen before. And that might just be the case here with our text. So let's get into it. The scene is this. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. As the text says, there are multitudes of people. Some people believe the commentators say there's like, not thousands, but like millions of people. This is a huge event. All four gospels record it. That's how big it is. And the people are rejoicing and praising God. And the Pharisees chime in like the wet blankets that they are always. Hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Quiet them down. Well, why do they do that? Well, I think there's a little bit of jealousy going on. They, they see themselves as the arbiters of all things religious. And they don't like the attention that he's receiving. And they take a great, great offense to the crowd shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they believe that that saying is reserved only for the Messiah. And they're right. They're absolutely right. And if Jesus is not the Messiah, he's just a good teacher or a mere man from Nazareth, he should turn to the people and say, Whoa, hey guys, I'm not who you think I am. Quiet down. But he doesn't do that. Because he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a mere man from Nazareth. He is the long-awaited Messiah. The King. And the Pharisees missed that truth. But the people got it right. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. See, up until this point in the Gospel of Luke, and, and the other uh, gospels as well, we see Jesus often when he would do a work and he would say to somebody before he sent him away, would say, hey, don't, don't tell anybody about me. Just keep it on the low, okay? My time has not yet come, but now his time has come. He's coming into his city and he receives that praise. He silences nobody. He rebukes no one. He receives it because it is rightly due to him. And so not only does he not turn to the people and quiet them down, he's got a word for the Pharisees. He turns to them and he says, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. And the question is, what does he mean by that? What what is he getting at? And what I found this week is there's, broadly speaking, there's two main interpretations, broadly speaking. One is definitely more popular than the other. And I'll bet you anything, you have the more popular perspective like I did a little over a week ago. But there's a second interpretation. I'm going to share with you both. Okay, I'm going to do both. So the first one, the more popular understanding is these people are expressing high praise. Praise that is so appropriate, so necessary, that if they did not express that praise, inanimate objects like stones would fill the void. Stones would cry out. In other words, it's more likely that the impossible would happen than for the king of kings to enter his holy city without honor. Jesus is saying, basically, praise is going to happen. It's going down one way or the other. And that's because all of God's creation is created and designed to give praise to the Creator. We see this very clearly. The place to go is Psalm 148. And I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 13. And I want you to look and see how all-inclusive these words are. Psalm 148, 3 through 13. There it is. It's up on the screen. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. I mean, that about covers it. I mean, that, that, is, that is all-inclusive, a very thorough list Sun, moon, stars, birds of the air, beasts of the field, sea creatures in the deep, fire, hail, snow, mist, wind, mountains, hills, trees, kings, princes, men, women, and children, even down to the rocks. Everything is created by God for God. And they declare His glory and sing praises to Him. I went outside last night before the Saturday night service. I like to kind of just clear my mind, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and I was right over here, and uh, I have my notes, and I'm kind of looking at them, and I, I look up from where I got my notes, and I look in front of me, and there's a whole slew of rocks. I mean, like hundreds, if not thousands there. So I just thought I'd grab one, and I started to think about the rock. You know, first of all, this rock, created by God, like we're created by God. And this rock, it does exactly what God designed it to do. You can build with it. If you look in this building, I can see it from here, right at that fireplace there. It might be, it looks very similar. Same type of rock. It can be used to build. It's a, it's a paperweight. Whatever it's doing over on that hill there, it's doing something. And I, my theory is this. I don't know much about landscaping. I wasn't here yesterday because I, I don't know that stuff and I'll reveal my ignorance here. But I thought, why are all these rocks here? It's a real long slope and I think it'd be really hard to mow that. So they, they put rocks down. That's my theory, I guess. It could be right. So that's, why, that's how I'm going to get out of mowing my lawn this spring. I'm just going to cover it with rocks. But basically, this rock... And all of creation, the waves, the mountains, the trees, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, they all do what God designed them to do. The only part of God's creation that doesn't is us. We're not, this rock is doing right, right now. God is like, I ordained this rock for Mike Bongo to use on whatever today's date is at Living Water Community Church as some sort of object lesson and it's fulfilling its duty. And so what is Jesus doing? He's making a very strong claim of deity. Muslims will say, well, tell me where in the Bible that Jesus says, I am God. He, He basically attributed the entirety of Psalm 148 to himself, which would be completely inappropriate to do if he's not God. I mean, imagine, imagine I got up here and I said, all of creation declares my glory. Me, Mike Bongo, all of creation sings my praises. And Miss Ella is rightly saying no. (laughs) Because if I got up here and I said, sing my praises, if you don't, this podium will cry out. Like, what? I would like to think, you know, they would bring the hook thing up and grab me by the neck. Somebody would tackle me. Get me out of here. I've lost my mind. But for Jesus, he can say it. C.S. Lewis made this point. He said, Jesus is either a straight up liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And Colossians 1 crystallizes it for us in the New Testament. He, referring to Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. It is right that the creation gives praise and honor to the creator. He is worthy. And to demonstrate how this happens, the Bible will use a literary device quite often. It's known as personification. Personification is when you, you give uh, human-like qualities to something that is not human. So I left here last night, I go home, plop down, watch a little basketball. Within five minutes of the broadcast, personification was used. Kenny Smith, he said, he said when, when you're aggressive, the ball finds you. I was like, man, that's just what I got done talking about. What do you mean, the, the ball's got eyes? I didn't know the ball was looking for me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you hustle, if you're aggressive, the ball just kind of bounces your way and you catch the brakes. And I think you know, that's how God designed it in our world. Sometimes when you give effort, you—you you, you know, this is just, a, we're down the rabbit hole. Let me just go down this. When you work hard in life, I think God, the way he established it, you kind of get the brakes. If you're working, I think it's his reward system. You know, there are people that come to Living Water and when they're in need, a lot of them, they come to me. And some people just want a handout, you know, but other people come and they're really in need and they're like, yeah, I want to help. I want to, I don't want to handout." And we don't want to give them that. We want them to maintain di- dignity and have them, you know, do something to work. Like that's the way God said, if a man does not work, nor shall he eat. Like, like these are, you know, this is just our ministry philosophy. And I'll tell you, there are people who come in here I have one person in mind right now who just worked incredibly hard and they're, they're doing it out of gratefulness because they're receiving help and they don't want to hand out. And boy, I will go the distance for that person. I will. I think that's how God has set, set it up. This, I'm preaching Kenny Smith's quote from last night. Let's get back to the, to the text. That's total uh, aside. Let me give you, let me give you more um, examples from Scripture of personification, Littered throughout the Bible. Isaiah 55, verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Well, mountains and hills, they don't sing, nor do trees clap their hands. Psalm 77, 16 says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. See, water doesn't have the ability to see, nor does it have the capacity to fear. Personification. So you might ask, is there another place in the Bible where, where uh, stones are personified? And there, there is. There's a, there's a couple. I'm going to share one with you. It's, uh, it's a little hard to find in your Bible. It's, it's a very short book buried in the minor prophets. I'm speaking of the book of Habakkuk. All right, now, I know it's probably been a minute since you've read some Habakkuk, so let's dust it off because he has something very interesting to say about stones crying out. And this would be a nice segue to that second interpretation that I want to share with you. So Habakkuk 2, verses 9 through 11, say this, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Let me try to explain what's going on here. The uh, prophet Habakkuk, used by God here to deliver a message. God has a message of judgment, and it's directed to a particular people group. They're known as the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are, are pagans, very wicked people who took advantage of others. They, they, they were exploiting the nations around them through extortion and unjust gain. And they, they prospered in this manner by charging exorbitant interest rates and and they prospered through uh, murder and bloodshed. And they, they built their, their buildings and their, their edifices. E-edi- I struggle with this. Edifices? Edi- edifici? No, that's not right. Edifices just doesn't sound right. They built their structures, their buildings, on unjust gain. And God has a word of judgment for them. He's saying, these stones that you use, they speak. But more than that, they scream. They shout out in judgment. And some commentators believe Jesus is saying the same thing here. Jesus isn't so much talking about stones crying out, singing praises to him, as much as he's saying that there are stones that will be crying out in judgment against these Pharisees who want the praises to stop and against all of Israel that will reject him and his messiahship. Now, that's why I say we ought not just go through the motions here. So I want to develop this a little bit here, but I'm thinking you might have a question at this point. You might say, Mike, uh, don't you know this is a joyous occasion here? I mean, look at what's going on. There's shouts of praise. There's... uh, you know, palm branches being waved, they're shouting Hosanna. The whole thing is just a festive atmosphere. It's kind of this just high energy parade. What are you talking about, judgment? It seems like you're raining on their parade. Well, these people that are following Jesus, they're a lot like us, they're a fickle group. Yes, today they're praising God, multitudes of people. Shouting praises, but before the week's out, they will be shouting, crucify him. That's how it is time and time again. When you read in your Bible about large throngs of people following Jesus, these massive quantities of people, within that big group, there are true disciples. There are people that are truly following him. But then there's some that are just along for the ride. This is the trendy thing. This is, they're enthralled with this new teacher who, who heals people and he's got little pithy sayings and they, 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 they're just, he's the hottest thing. And they're following him and they're just along for the ride though. Because when the ride gets bumpy and their desires go unmet and the buzz wears off, they bounce and they're on to the next Big thing, or the next great teacher. But now, though, this is all new. Man, this is this right here. This is the place to be. Jerusalem, Passover time. Everybody's talking about this. This is like March madness. All right, you got Dickie V there shouting, It's awesome, baby. It's Passover time. Praises, palm branches being waved in the air. You can feel the excitement. Very trendy to be there at this time. You got people making TikTok videos, talking about being down with the king, with Run DMC playing in the background. However, in just a few days, they'll be shouting down with the king, but mean something very different. They'll be saying, crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. Luke 23. Pilate, Pilate calls together, notice who he calls together, the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all, who's the all? All the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Undoubtedly people there saying what I'm about to say in Luke 23 were shouting praises in Luke 19. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! See, that's why when I read the text, I didn't stop at verse 40. I could have with the stones crying out, but if I did that, I think we would miss the co-text. Jesus has more to say. Let Let me read it again. After talking about the stones crying out, Here's what the the Bible says. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He's actually the one crying on the parade with his own tears in a literal way. Saying, would that you, speaking of Jerusalem, and here comes some more personification, even you had had known on this day the things that make for peace. And what might come to mind for you is John 11, uh, verse 35. Jesus wept. In our English Bibles, the same word is used, wept and wept. But in the original language, two different words are being used. In John 11, it's more like a, a quiet weeping at the death of, of Lazarus. Here, this is this is much stronger word. It's, it's sobbing, almost a howling sort of cry. And you can see how Jesus loves this city. So why is he sobbing? Verse 42, They don't know the things that make for peace. That is peace with God. The peace that God offers when he sends his son Jesus Christ into this world to bear our sins. We're talking about a vertical peace. Not the horizontal peace here. He's talking vertical Peace between man and God, a Romans 5.1 sort of peace. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as much as we want to live at peace with our fellow man, and we do, uh, of course we do. The Bible speaks of of both, really. The Bible speaks of the vertical peace and the horizontal peace. And Pastor Mike talked about this just a few weeks ago, and I want to affirm what he said. I, I love my pastor. I, I love him so much. And I love that he is balanced. And I think sometimes we get out of balance. Even in churches, they, it's, it's all about the vertical, you know? It's all about man being reconciled to God with no regard for the horizontal. I think that's an error. But then there's some churches, it's all about the horizontal, It's all about the social justice stuff. And they neglect the vertical. Right? It's both. Because the argument is, well, if you just get right with the vertical, the horizontal takes care of itself. It doesn't, though. It does not. If it did, there would be no such thing as marriage counseling for Christians. You come to Christ and your marriage is just lovey-dovey and great. No. No, the the horizontal, it's both. I love that about Pastor Mike. So the the reality is here, though, that there are people. If you talk about peace with God, follow the logic here. If If you're saying we now have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Prior to that, there was what? Enmity. Do you know that there are some people who are enemies of God? That's what the Bible says. And I know this rubs up against a very popular notion that we all, men, women, and children, are all children of God. That's not true. That is a popular lie. It's not what the Bible says. There are children of God, and there are children of the devil. See, and, and somebody came to me last night with this, and you know, they said, Mike, when they, they brought that up, and they said, thank you, I, I say that all the time. And you showed me from the bible where i was in error and that is i was so grateful for that they weren't like i'm attacking them coming at them. i'm just trying to share the word of god and if it conflicts with what any of us say we ought to submit ourselves to the word of god and not kill the messenger you know this person was just so humble and and i just so appreciated it because The Bible says a couple things about this. Colossians 1, we we looked at it earlier. Go a few verses later in verse 21. You, you Christians, you were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We all start out that way. As enemies of God, you must be born again to become a friend of God. We're not all God's children. 1 John 3.10 just couldn't be clearer. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. There's one group. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here in Luke 19, he's saying you had your opportunity for peace speaking to Jerusalem, prophets were sent to you, you stoned them. And now a greater prophet is here. And you, by and large, there's always a remnant. Within that large group, there's always a remnant, right? He says, but you have rejected me, despite this religious parade that is going on. Because in less than a week, you will have killed me as well. And for that, judgment is coming. And he knew it was coming. Jesus said this earlier back in Luke, Luke 13. He says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing! Exclamation point. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. Brings us right here today. That's where we're at. Jesus entering Jerusalem and he's pronouncing judgment according to the second interpretation. What's it going to look like? Verse 43, he goes on. For the days will come upon you. If you read through your Old Testament, you read those words, something bad is about to go down. Judgment is coming. The days will come upon you. When your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's he referring to? The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. By whom? The Romans led by General Titus. See, what happened is in in 66 AD, the Jews revolt. And four years later, the Romans decimate the city and the temple, killing thousands. And how did they do it? Exactly the way Jesus describes here. He says what? Your enemies will throw up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. See, in order to, to, to find out what happened and we see the, the, those words coming to, to fruition, we go to the, the, the Jewish historian, this guy named Flavius Josephus, which is like the greatest name ever, okay? If I could go back and name one of my kids Flavius, that would be awesome. Flavius, he, he wrote a lot of works. He wrote, he wrote a lot of things, ancient literature. One was called The Jewish War the Jewish war, and he describes what happened exactly in 70 AD. And I read large chunks of it. It was fascinating. I was just reading through. I, just, I saw what I wanted to find, and then I just kept reading. It was, it was really interesting. And what they did is, he says, they put up a high barrier. They sealed off the city. This is what the Romans did. No one could enter or leave. No supplies going in. And you know what happened? The people starved to death. And I'll spare with you the story that he records that sounded like a true historical account of a woman named Mary who cooked and ate her son. It's in there. It's human history. These things happen. And he records in in 75 A.D. what happened in 70 A.D. They destroy the city and the temple such that not one stone remained on top of another. And some commentators are making the case that these are the stones that Jesus is referring to when he said that they would cry out. They would cry out in judgment against those who demanded silence, the Pharisees. They would cry out in judgment against Israel's unbelief. And they would cry out in judgment against the people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And you know what follows where we left off? The cleansing of the temple. More judgment. He's pronouncing, he's coming in there, he's judging. Oh, no question. For for it is written, it is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Kind of fits with the narrative here. So why why did this happen? Why, Why did the destruction take place? It's because they did not know the time of their visitation. What does that mean? That is when God draws near. And it can go either way. It can either be for blessing or for a curse or for judgment. By way of salvation, he draws near, or by way of condemnation. And Jesus says, Jerusalem missed it. They missed it. The Jews in general and and specifically the Pharisees because they did not know exactly who was in their midst or they didn't want to know. Therefore, judgment fell upon them. So what about us? What about us here today? I presented to you two interpretations and you know what I find fascinating? Whatever one you, you choose, you know, The stones are the praises. The stones signify judgment. You know what happens? If you follow those, they both lead to the same destination. The application is the same. They lead to Jesus Christ. They do. Recognize who Jesus is and praise him. If you hold to that first one, recognize he's the Messiah, the Savior, the God-man, the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Repent of your sins. Put your trust in him. And then praise him because he's worthy. You know, and, and, and the other is if you reject him, you will experience the natural outworking of your rejection, of your sin. And, you know, and I know that sounds like a threat. I talk to unbelievers, oh, you're threatening me. No, I'm just telling you this is how it works, Okay. We, we, we function in society like this all the time. If I go 60 miles an hour down Derry Street, I'm doing what? I'm breaking the law. I could get into an accident, especially on a rainy day like today, lose control. That is the consequence for my stupidity. Or Tom Stauffer pulls me over and gives me a speeding ticket. So that, all that sign that says... 35 miles an hour, 45. I probably should know that I drive it all the time. I don't know. I just, It ain't 60, all right? You know, oh, that sign is threatening me. No, it's telling you this is what you are to do. And if you violate this, there's going to be consequences. Same is true here. So, where are you at today? Let me bring it to you personally. Because I think this. I think that... Churches in America, we're a church in America. We're a lot like that crowd on the road to Jerusalem. In this gathering, what do we have? We have true born-again believers in Jesus. You love Jesus. You love him. He's changed you. You're you're a new creation in Christ. He's done a miraculous work in your life, and you're here because you want to give him the honor and praise that he's deserving. And you're here together. I know you're here. Of course you are. Whether you're clapping or not, I know you're here, okay? All right? But, and here's and here I'm just going to be honest with you. There's there's unbelievers here too. I went to church for 30 years thinking to be a Christian, and I wasn't. I know I wasn't. Trust me. I know it's possible. It had So in our midst here we have people that have that have, that have received salvation. And praise the Lord. But we have some here that are still under God's condemnation. The wrath of God is aimed right at you and people at home. I I, I know you're here. I don't know who you are. That's not my job to figure out who's who. Uh, But you're you're here. Both groups are represented. But perhaps for, for us here today, this is our day of visitation. Anytime the word of God goes forth, you are called to act upon it. You are. You are to respond. If you're in Christ, you're to respond. And if you're not, you're to respond. It's a very dangerous thing to hear the word of God. It is. And perhaps God is drawing near to this place. And maybe my prayer this morning, I got down on my knees in the bathroom over here. A little too much information. I put my mic on and I, I was compelled to hit my knees and I prayed. I said, God, would you save somebody today? I don't care, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. at home. Save them right on the couch. Save them. Save one person. Would you do that? And would you use me to do that? That was my prayer. And if that's happening here, who knows? If that's it, Tell somebody. Talk to, talk to a pastor. Talk to an elder here. Talk to the Lord. I'd love to talk to you. I would. We can tell you more. There's so much more to be said. But that, that, that's my prayer for today. But I bet you this, too. There are people, your heart is hard. You want me to be quiet. You're like, I've heard enough, Mike. You're rambling on and on about something that I care very little about. What, what, time, what time is this going to be over? I got basketball to watch. Just wrap it up. If that's you, my heart breaks for you, honestly. It does. I'm the outreach guy. That, I, I, I've devoted my life to that. I mean that that I want to talk to people who are like, I, I don't think I'm right with God. Can, can I talk with you? I clear my schedule. We'll, we'll stay here all day and talk. That's that's it, it's there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. But the reality is though that Every single one of us, whether what camp you're in, your life will glorify God. It will. Even the person who says, I will never come to Christ, I will never submit to Him. You know what? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says every knee will bow. We sang it earlier. That's not every Christian knee, there's no qualifiers. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know? And I say that with a heavy heart. I wrote right here, I wrote in blue highlighter, little tears to remind me that that's that's how I feel. Don't say it, Mike, with any sort of glee or any sort of threatening tone. I'm just passionate about it. But I would love for God to save a soul here today. You know, because the the reality again, the reality is that your life will glorify God. You will either come to Jesus through repentance and faith and you will become a trophy of his grace or you will reject him and you will be an object of his wrath. Either way, he's getting his glory. So let me close here with uh, a quote from a preacher. And I'm going to leave this guy nameless. And he would prefer it that way. I think Jesus is bringing a hard word here. I think there's merit to that second interpretation. And I think he's coming strong. And and I believe that hard words produce soft hearts. And soft words produce hard hearts. And I think we need a hard word here today. This preacher said this, He said, don't think that I will even ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the most preposterous thing I could ever tell you to do. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, whether you serve Him or not. Whether you bless Him, curse Him, hate Him, or love Him, He is the Lord of your life. Because God has given Him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and tongue confess that He is Lord. Some of you will bow out of the grace that has been given to you, and others will bow because your kneecaps will be broken by the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. And I will not apologize for this God of the Bible. I come from a long line of men, most of them buried, but all of them well-received in glory, who thinks not about the opinions of men or the way the rest of the evangelical community is going to walk. I want you to know that there is a God in heaven and he is worthy of all praise and glory and honor and he demands such from you. He says, the Bible commands all men and women everywhere to repent. And my word for you today is to seek him while he still may be found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being with us here today. Lord, when you, your word goes forth in any setting, it is a dangerous thing because we are called to respond. The Bible says that it is a, a sharp sword and it cuts into us and it, and it discerns our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And every time we hear it, we have the opportunity to respond. For those here today that are in Christ I I pray Lord that they would just praise you that they would just sing this last song with all devotion and adoration directed to you, their creator and redeemer but Lord I also pray for those who don't know you that they would not mistake my passion for anger or any sort of threatening that they would see your kindness and that it would lead them to repentance that they would turn to you recognizing that they're like the rest of us sinners who just need to be saved Lord I am simply one beggar telling another beggar where the bread's at Lord will you work in this place here and work at home to everybody within the sound of my voice and do it for your glory and your honor and your praise. Amen. Please stand as we prepare to close.